Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020, you are listening to the Inquisitive Bro Podcast. On today's episode, first round is almost over. Raptors brick their way to a 2-0 series deficit. Nuggets come back from the dead, and it only took 10,000 points from Jamal Murray to do it. Lots going on. Playoffs are heating up. I'm Andrew. He's Chris. Let's go. said in that intro uh the first round is almost done we only have okc and houston game seven to deal with which uh we'll get in later um but why don't we just start with the disappointing raptors who are down two nothing to the celtics what have your thoughts been so far uh from this series uh i'm just doing a quick google search for pascal how to play basketball okay good i'm gonna send this over yeah it seems like he's forgotten at least to play at an all-star level um, this was a potential concern. Uh, if you're a Raptors fan going into the series, the Celtics are really good, much better than the Nets. And one of the ways that you could perceive the Raptors, uh, winning this series is if Pascal plays at least to an all-star level, uh, hopefully matching Jason Tatum, but definitely not losing that battle substantially. And well, Jason Tatum has taken a leap. He is looking far and away the best player in this series it's not even close and pascal is not even not only being outplayed by uh jason he's being outplayed by the guy who's guarding him which is marcus smart yeah i mean he's looking completely out of sorts out there i don't know what's going on i mean i have some theories about what's going on um as opposed to last year where he could play off of Kawhi, and Kawhi was the main uh focal point on offense for the raptors and people really had to defend him now they're defending siakam and he's the guy. And we're dumping it to him in the post, making him go uh, ISO. We're giving it to him up top, making him go ISO. That is not his game. He is a play-in-the-flow-of-the-game kind of guy. He's not a give-it-to-him-clear-out. And that's what we've been asking him to do. I'm a little surprised that's the route we went with because we didn't see a ton of it during the regular season. Again, the Raptors' defense generally is what leads to their offense. We're a good team in transition. Uh, but in the playoffs, as you know, things slow down. Half-court plays a bigger role. And we're just not ready for it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Pascal is learning, and this happens with all young uh, young stars, that in the playoffs, when you're the primary scorer, it's a different level of attention and intensity. You're going to get their best shot. They're putting their best defender on you, Marcus Smart, who is causing you a ton of issues. Uh, we're trying to post him up because of the size mismatch, but unfortunately, that's not something that's been working in our favor. I completely agree with you that he he's not good in the isolation scenarios. He's looking rushed. It's like he's playing too passive when he doesn't have the ball, not demanding attention. He doesn't seem to be a threat in the first two games I've seen. And then when he does have the ball, he's being too frantic with it. It's it's like the game is going too fast for him right now and he needs to slow it down. Yeah, it seems like we're basically just running the same offense this year that we ran last year, except the difference is that they've swapped Siakam in the spot where Kawhi was and you just can't do that they're not the same player I mean Siakam is looking uncomfortable in basically every situation you give him yeah exactly this was the concern uh like I said this was the concern uh for Raptors fans uh in a playoff series when you face a really good opponent and that is that you no longer have that um half-court offense one-on-one threat like Kawhi who when everything gets jumbled up he can still get a bucket or at least a good shot, no matter what. 
Um, we don't have that. I mean, uh, he's very limited offensively. His footwork isn't great. His handle isn't great. And for his height, he's pretty, I would say he's subpar passing out of the double team. He is struggling uh, passing out of the double team because they're sending late help on him a lot, especially in those post touches. And he's not been able to find the open man so far. But we'll see how the adjustments go. But so far, that has been a complete L for the Raps in terms of matchups. Let's talk game one. What happened? We'll summarize that quickly. We'll get into what we saw in game two. Yeah. Do that. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. I mean, game one, we just didn't come ready to play. Yeah. Uh, I mean, complete route of the Raptors. I wanted to attribute a little bit to the time off what went on. We know that there were some games boycotted. The Raptors first game was pushed. Celtics had the same amount of time off, though. Yeah, it's just one team was ready for it, one team yeah. wasn't, maybe. There was just no reason for us to come out of the gate as slow as we did. Um, game one, there was a couple times we had some runs to kind of bring it to a 10-point game. Nothing really materialized. Start to finish, Celtics led. Yeah, it was a blowout. That's interesting that you talk about the runs, because I found that there was a parallel there with game two, where, I mean, we came out a lot better and a lot more determined, as was expected. But other than that run near the end of the third quarter, where we went up, I think... 11 at one point or eight um in was, game two yeah in game yeah, two yeah. i'm talking about game two um we still you would see these situations where we still couldn't sustain stops and scores consistently to keep up runs and that goes down again to the fact that this team struggles in the half court on offense this is not new this is something that happened throughout the year there's a reason why the raptors were pretty pedestrian i think like 15th in the league in offensive rating overall we're number one in the league in offensive rating in transition we are an amazing transition team and that does make sense because pascal's great in transition norm powell excels in transition we have the two ball handlers and kyle and fred who make tremendous decisions for the most part in transition but boston is the number one transition defense they get back all the time and they're really limiting our scoring abilities on the rush there and they're forcing us to execute in the half court and we haven't been able to do it to the level that we need to to win games to win the series yeah i mean sometimes uh your team plays well in the, reg- in the regular season then you get to the playoffs and things aren't really panning out and you're trying to figure out why that's not really the case here like it's very clear what's happening regular season you're getting different matchups teams aren't really game playing for you as much much faster pace higher number of possessions raps can play the game they want to play uh, Boston's doing a great job in transition getting back. So the few opportunities we do have to leak out, they're stopping us. Um, I mean, game one, we just shot the ball so poorly. So Pascal, yeah. 5 of 16. Fred, 3 of 16. Powell, 4 of 12. Abaka, 4 of 10. Lowry went 1 of 5 from distance. He would continue to struggle from 3 uh, in game two. Raptors shot 37% of the floor. They bricked 30 out of 43s. We went 10 of 40 in game one from 3. I know. I'm just looking at that. We actually went 11 of 40, to be exact. And Celtics made everything. They could have had a blindfold on shooting threes in the corner. Well, they made 15 of 38. So that's 39.5%, almost 40, obviously. And we shot, uh, I mean, what did we shoot? We shot 27.5%. That's another thing. Look, the Raptors aren't going to win the series if literally every good player on the Celtics is playing well i mean in the first two games he went through stretches where jason tatum obviously eviscerated us in game two but he was really good in game one as well uh marcus smart went absolutely off in the fourth quarter in game two that just happens sometimes i mean that happened for us with van vliet last year that's just the way playoff games work but you you can't have everyone going off kemba walker had a had a good game down the stretch there um jalen brown right at the start of the game was going off we need 
someone to get off their game. We need to take someone out of that game. We can't have all their threats working while we're not making shots. We also can't lose the three-point battle. Okay, but here's the problem with that. My notes here for game two was that I thought it was a really big missed opportunity for the Raptors to take that game, and here's why. I don't think the Celtics played that well for the, through the first they, three quarters. They didn't. That's they shot thing. the ball, ball poorly. Uh, their transition D was a little bit better, but their defense as a whole wasn't good. We were able to hit some shots, get on some runs. I mean, Kemba obviously got late hot. Uh, Smart got really hot from three late, five to six from the line in the fourth alone. Raptors went cold in the fourth. But like that game was right there for the taking. We just couldn't, couldn't execute down the stretch. I completely agree, yeah. Um, that was a classic game where the other team wasn't playing as well and we had a shot. And um, Pascal didn't make a field goal in the fourth quarter. Played 12 minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we blew that game. You see Kemba's, that step back at well, the end. Patented. Classic yeah. UConn Kemba. Ibaka played great defense on that uh, on that possession too because they had the high screen and they yeah. switched it. And he played great defense. He just, he can't keep up with that step back. Very few people in the league can. Another great highlight, uh, Tatum's crossover of Siakam. Um, when was that? I don't know. He was going one-on-one. He went right, pulled it back left. And Siakam kind of did a split, fell down. Oh, yeah, he slipped. I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I think the main highlight, one of the main highlights from this game, is just Marcus Smart's complete flop job on that transition. I mean, that was kind of clever. I mean, I don't know how the ref didn't see that. The refing has been kind of suspect, in my opinion, for the first two games. It's it's It doesn't okay, change first, the fact that they've been the better team. But I'm just saying, like, I think we haven't had... The Raptors, that is. I don't think we've had the most favorable whistle. Hopefully that turns. No, we haven't. I mean, first game, we got absolutely hosed by the refs in the first quarter. I don't know what was going on there. But then, you know, I I was starting to think, like, when you come out out of of the gate and you show the hustle and you're the team that really gets after it, you tend to get the calls. Yeah, the Celtics came in and they were much more determined. Although I was frustrated with the way the whistle was going uh, in game one, we were still losing that game anyway. We just played like crap. Yeah. Um... So we're already down to nothing. Nothing you can change about that. Um, Andrew, what are some adjustments that you'd like to uh, see Nick Nurse do maybe going forward to try to like turn this around? Okay, so I think that Nick Nurse is in the same position that Budenholzer is with Milwaukee in that the pressure is going to be on them to come out with something different, whether it's a different gameplay, uh, different lineup change, try different combinations. You got to shake it up. And yeah. I think I texted you four or five minutes into the fourth quarter of that Raptors game, and I'm like... Gasol's a liability. Yeah. Um, we are losing the center battle in this series. I mean, give the Celtics credit for all the stars and great players they have at the wings and guard spots, but they went cheap this off this season on centers. They have Daniel Tice, who's been playing great. Like, credit to him. And then they have a rotation of Enos Cantor and Robert Williams. And they're not even playing Enos Cantor. But the point is... If we want to win the series, you can't lose that matchup. You can't have Gasol and Ibaka, two big names, losing against Daniel Tice and Robert Williams, but we are. But see, I don't think Ibaka is. Like, you looked at Ibaka's play. Yeah, he's been good over two games. And the problem with Mark is that we're playing a drive and kick game to where you're hoping that that kick goes to anybody who can make that shot. They're giving him 10, 11, 12 feet, and he's not even coming close. Like, they're, they're going right for the rebound. Mark Gasol's reticence to shoot on offense is a problem and also the fact that when he does he's missing too often he's not making them respect his outside shot and frankly i wouldn't if i were them yeah me neither mark shoot away but i do agree you can't have a nothing on offense right now against this team we have to have five threats on the floor 
which is gets to my point, which I told you before we started taping this, that I think the answer is you got to go small. I think Celtics, so. The Celtics are starting small as well, um, where they don't have a traditional four. They have Tice, and then they have Tatum, Brown, Kemba, and Smart, with Smart guarding Pascal for the most part, and then Jalen Brown takes some turns as well. I think it's time to go small. I think you have to go line up like um, maybe not as a starting rotation because Gasol still does pretty good at the, the rim defense, so I'll give him that. But um, I think even though he hasn't played great in this series, I think it's time to play Norm more. I think you have to do something where it's like Kyle, Fred, Norm, OG, Siakam. Just spread them out. Just almost do kind of like a rocket situation where you're driving and kicking. No more zeros on offense. Maybe that frees up Pascal for uh, drives to the net, more open threes. Um, I really liked what I've seen from OG, but I think it's time to go into the blender and change things up because what we're doing right now is not working and we can't just keep throwing out the same stuff every time. Yeah, no, you're right. So there's two options. One, they stick with what we got and we just hope Gasol turns it around in the flow of the offense and hope that works out. I do not think that's what they should go with, nor do I think it is. I mean, Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches at changing it up and throwing something out there that the opposition hasn't seen before. So I think I'm I'm pretty confident in what he's going to be able to come up with for game three. But yeah, I mean, also... Go smaller, give Norm a shot to kind of get the Raptors offense back into a transition game, which they tend to struggle in the half court. So the transition game is what we're going to look for. I think you can do that with a smaller guy in Norm. And at the same time, man, we just got to shoot better. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. Like I said, we can't lose the three-point battle. We need better three-point variants. But it's uncharacteristically. I mean, Lowry over 7 from 3 last night. Fred went 8 of 22 from the floor. Lowry for the series, for those listening, if you just look at the stats, is shooting... 8.3% 8.3% from three. But that's, that's not a tick up. That but. sounds bad, but is that really surprising? Like, we've known Larry to have terrible shooting playoff stretches. This is no different. I still think he's been overall, like, very effective. Just not shooting well, and you'd like those to go down. Um, it's not on one guy. I mean, there's some main culprits, but it's a whole team thing. We just need to play better. It's that simple. And I also think we need to make some lineup changes to allow us to play better. It's frustrating. I, I don't it say It's a weird 2-0, because the first game was a wash, it happens. Second game, I feel like we could have had it, but like I can't really pinpoint to any one specific thing because there were so many areas that we lacked in. That's one of the ones where it's a lot of small things in the margins uh, throughout the game that just add up to us losing. Um, I mean, frankly, we probably win that game if it wasn't for the fact that Marcus Smart got touched by the hand of God and like went off. I mean, he shot like 34% from three during the season, and he'd been shooting 29% from three over the course of the playoffs. And then out of nowhere, it just goes five for five, including a four-point play. Um, I mean, whatever, that that happens, though, in a, in a small sample size. like I mean, all you needed was one of two things. You needed either Marcus Smart not to go Ray Allen from three, or you needed any Raptor to make a couple extra field goals. Yeah, I know. But it didn't happen. But going projecting forward, um, I mean, this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Milwaukee series, obviously, the games are flipped around, whereas in Milwaukee, we blew game one. That and was you're talking about game. the Raptor-Milwaukee yeah. conference finals from last year. Yeah, whereas game one, we blew a winnable game, and then game two, we got absolutely, like, just curb stomped. It's kind of the opposite. Um, this is a competitive team. I would be shocked if they just suddenly lie down and uh, got beat just summarily, but, I mean, we got to make some changes, and we got to come out harder. I think we can battle back because we're not going back to Boston. Um, side note, this is actually a series where I think, um, obviously you can't change anything now, but this is a series where I think we really missed having home court advantage. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, you make a good point. 
if we were down 2-0 at this point, we'd be going back to Boston, and the yeah. series would probably be over. Oh, yeah, that would be in trouble. I mean, I mean now blessing just, and a curse. Yeah, now we've just lost two games. We can win two games. We can win... We can still beat these guys, but it's going to need greater efforts from everyone. So I don't think the Raptors have played two worst games back-to-back all season. Probably not. I mean, this is really, really poor. And I know Boston's a terrible matchup for us. It is. That's another thing where it's just... It's a matchup game, and... Um, Boston matches up really well with us. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the pod so far. Please remember to rate and subscribe and tell your friends about it. Uh, We at the Inquisitive Bro would really appreciate it. New pods coming every week. Uh, We got hockey playoffs still going, basketball obviously, and the NFL season is starting. What's going to happen with that? Pod's coming up, so look out for that at the Inquisitive Bro. Anyway, back to the pod. Okay, moving on. So speaking of good matchups uh, for a team, uh, let's go to the Bucks versus Heat, where, Andrew, the Heat look like the ideal matchup to face the Bucks, Like, for the Heat, that is. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they looked really good. I mean, so going back one series, Bucks finally took care of business and disposed of Orlando. Um, I'm not going to talk about the Magic or their outlook or what they're happening next season, because they have no outlook. They're terrible. <laughs> they will be terrible for many years. They're not terrible. They're just... They project to be a 7th or 8th seed for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that sweet spot where you always bounce in the first round, usually win game one, classic magic, and then you never get a high enough draft pick to do any damage the next <laughs> season. That sucks. But anyway, yeah, so uh, magic gone. We're not going to talk about them. Uh, Heat Bucks going to be a great series. Um, Heat stole a page from the 2019 Toronto Raptors playbook when defending the Bucks. They played that game the same way we did when we finally figured out how to stop Giannis. I thought they executed it to perfection, led to a game one win. Yeah, spoiler alert, every team that plays the Bucks going forward um, is going to play that way if the Bucks make it past the Heat, which... But it's I, odd that they don't do it in the regular season. Well... Bucks w- perennially win 60 games in the regular season, but then come to playoffs, it's almost like you game plan for it a little bit more. You can't say perennially when it's only been two seasons, but... What's the definition of perennial? Is it more than two? Is it three? I would say it's more than two. I mean, I think it has to be a little bit more than a longer sample size than just, say, two years in a row they've done this. Well, put it this way. I think they're probably going to win 60 games or at least flirt with it next season as well. So yeah, then I will then come back. Then I can it. drop the perennial. Yeah, then you drop that, uh, the P-bomb. Yeah. I'm going to set a reminder on my phone for this time next year. <laughs> Look, I mean, in our last pod where we had our brackets, I picked the Heat to win this series. I think they match up exceptionally well against the Bucks. And the other thing about the Bucks is, I mean... They do the same shit over and over and over again. You know exactly what they're going to do. It's a really good system because they have really good players. But if you have the right pieces to match their drop back system, they're always going to drop back their centers. They're always going to leave above the break threes. They they lit the most above the break threes of the entire NBA this year. So if you have, uh, if you have the type of personnel that can exploit that, aka a Duncan Robinson, a Goran Dragic, and a Tyler Hero, then that's really good on offense. And then on defense, they have amazing defensive players all throughout. They're gritty. They're strong. Bam Adebayo is a great first guy to take uh, Giannis. Then you got Jimmy Buckets, who's just locking down Middleton when it uh, matters most. I mean, you told me about this during the game. Classic Middleton um, starts out hot because he's a tremendously talented player, but he scored in the first half. He scored, I think it was 21 points. Here, let me just bring it up. Chris Middleton is... The NBA's resident Houdini. Because of the disappearing acts he does time and time again in the playoffs late in the games. Yeah, so he had 21 points in the first half. Um, very spunky. He was 9 for 14. And in the second half, 
he was three for ten for seven points and also minus nine. I mean, don't just put it all on Chris Middleton because he's not their best player, and there's other guys who uh, struggled, including Giannis, who was held to basically half his uh, scoring average. But it is a consistent theme, and this is uh, a issue for Milwaukee that they're going to have to address. And it's the fact that Chris Middleton doesn't appear to be mentally the guy who asserts himself that you might need in the playoffs, especially if he's your number two on a championship caliber team or a team with championship aspirations. He floats in and out of games, and near the end of games, he doesn't appear to be the type of guy who really wants the ball. Last year when Milwaukee got eliminated and then they lost Brogdon in the offseason, everybody went, this is going to be a big move. And now we are seeing that play out. They really need a Brogdon in these situations, especially late in games, where we've seen he had a great series, even though they, they lost, but yeah. he played well, and that's exactly what they're missing, where Middleton isn't stepping up when they needed Brogdon to. That is a very, very poignant point. Um, it is painfully obvious, especially when they're missing Eric Bledsoe for game one, that the Bucks need another guy who can be a playmaker ball handler in the half court when it gets down the stretch. Someone who has some poise. Malcolm Brogdon was perfect for that. And they got rid of him for money purposes. And now they're missing that player, and they could really use it. And now if they don't make the the finals, if they don't win the championship this year, they have one more year of Giannis under contract with two draft picks that they got for, for Brogdon burning a hole in their pocket. It would be foolish for them to keep those and not try to... Um, not try to capitalize that for a more immediate asset when you literally have the best player in the league right now. But that's a discussion for a different story. The point is, right now, the Bucks are in trouble. I think uh, Budenholzer is going to have to maybe consider making some adjustments, which he He, hates he does to do. not have those adjustments. He doesn't. He hates to do it. Even he has a system that just seems to work amazing in the regular season. But what is the system? Giannis the, goes 40, 10 and 10 every well, game. I'm talking about also if you look at the um if you look at the the Atlanta Hawks as well, which suffered a similar fate to uh current day Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, what Budenholzer does is he likes to have a lot of guys who all can contribute and he has this drop back system where he's always dropping back the centers. I mean, in uh Atlanta that was Al Horford. Now it's Brook Lopez and uh and Giannis. Um, he stays steadfast to his rotations. Um, he's taking Giannis out at really random times, which he would do in the regular season. But in the playoffs, you got to play to the game. I mean, I get that they traded for Marvin Williams at the trade deadline, but he should be more uh, a bit player, contingency plans. If the game calls for it, maybe put him in. You shouldn't feel the need to take out Giannis to make sure that Marvin Williams gets his. But that's what Bud does. He likes to play 10 guys, and he still sticks to his 10 guys, even in tight playoff games. Is Giannis going to play over 40 minutes in this series? Watch out for that, because I honestly don't know if Bud is mentally willing to play his guys more minutes than he's already pre-allotted, despite what the game, what's happening in the game. Maybe they let him try it for one more game, but if they go down 2-0, and he hasn't changed anything for game two, and they lose again, he's going to get a knock on his door, and they're going to ask him to switch it up. And then he'll probably be like, I'm the coach. I have say over this. Maybe, but if they lose a series, does he still have a job come next season? Yeah. You think so? Yeah, he's still one of the best coaches in the league, but maybe he's just got to like start seeing. Maybe it's time to switch it up. You know what he actually reminds me of a little bit? Um, to use a hockey analogy, Mike Babcock. Right. Yeah. Just good coach. I mean, we'll leave aside uh, Mike's hard-assness <laughs> that I don't think Bud 
uh, has, but good coach, but just stubborn to a fault. People hated Babcock, though. Oh, they hated him. Yeah. They seem to like Bud, but I'm just saying, like... However, though, you don't think Giannis is asking... I mean, I know he said in the post game whatever coach says I'm going to do, but you don't think he's being like, bro, I'm Giannis Antetokounmpo, get me some minutes. Damian Lillard's playing, like, 45 minutes a game. Jamal Murray's playing a bunch of minutes. Like, if LeBron in a big game, he'll play the minutes. They're not holding LeBron back so JR can get his shots. I don't know if he is, but he should be. I mean, yeah, he's he a pretty... Be. He's not a rock-the-boat type of guy, you can tell, but he should be like that. I mean, he's 26 now. Um, LeBron, when he was 26, with the Heat, he was playing 42 minutes a game. Like, Yeah, and in the playoffs, like, 47 and a half minutes well, a game. No, I'm talking about the playoffs. I mean, you play, like, 38 in the regular season. He would play, like, 42 minutes a game average, and then in games where you kind of needed it, then he could play the full game. He would play the full game sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Spolstra would take him out, like, 30 seconds before a TV timeout to try and get him an extended yeah. time. So you look at his end-of-game minutes, and it was, like, 46 and a half, and you're like, yeah. okay, so it was basically the whole yeah. game. Giannis is a freak athlete. I mean, this is why it's great to have an MVP, because he's on the floor, and he's a complete game-changer, and... I don't know. We'll see. Like, it was just game one. We'll see what he does tonight. Uh, game two. See how the game goes. I mean, if they're winning, then don't change your substitution patterns. This is going to be a long series. And when it comes down to, like, a game six, game seven, must-win moments, is Bud going to stick to his uh, rotation patterns? Milwaukee is suffering the same or a similar fate as the Raptors are. Um, Giannis is not a shooter. Likes to get out in transition. Likes to run the floor. Uh, plays in the flow of the game. High possession for him. Um... He shot 4 of 12 from the line in game 1. 6 of 12 from the floor. Right. His free throw shooting is a problem. That was one thing in the Milwaukee series against the Raptors um, th- that was exceptionally helpful for us. I mean, if you just compared our two superstars, Kawhi seemed to make every single free throw he got, and Giannis was always going 1 for 2, 1 for 2, 0 of 2. Those are big momentum killers. You, When you have free throws in the playoffs and tight games, you got to make them. Um, it can really swing games. There's and a big difference being a 40% free throw shooter when you're going one of two. And there's another. it's another thing when you're getting to the line 12, 13, 14 times a game. Yeah, exactly. And it's also a confidence thing. Because when you start missing the free throws, suddenly you're not playing aggressive because you don't want to get fouled. And it snowballs. Bucks were second in the NBA in fast break points in the regular yeah, season. They were. And Miami was like, just like the Toronto-Boston series, Miami was among the league leaders in transition defense. I mean... For the superstar of his magnitude, Giannis, who's amazing, he can also be defended, like you said. Um, He has holes in his game, despite his just obvious uh, strengths. Um, But there's weaknesses that you can still take advantage of. This is why the eye test is so important in basketball, because when it's all said and done, Giannis' stats and his numbers are going to be epic. Like, they're going to be massive across the board. But when you look at the eye test, you look at him compared to a... You know, a, a Kobe, a Paul Pierce, uh, I mean, a Kawhi Leonard. But then when you look at the eye test and you're looking at like, okay, who do I want in certain situations when in big games? Giannis offensively, a little bit like Siakam, is limited. He does one or two things incredibly well, maybe better than almost anybody who's ever played yeah. basketball. But if you're able to limit those one or two things, you can easily exploit Milwaukee's offense. Well, it's easier to defend someone when you know what they're going to do, right? There's one reason why you mentioned those guys, those wings, who can do... Like, they're three-level scores. Jason Tatum's like this as well. Yeah. Got the mid-range. He's got the pull-up jumper, and he's got the three. He can drive to the rim. He's got everything. You don't know what he's going to do. Giannis, like, I mean, no matter what, I'm going to be like, I'm going to give him 10 feet of space 
Like, go ahead, shoot a three if you want to. You're not going to. You're going to try to drive in, right. create the wall, see what happens. Yeah. Um, and despite that, Giannis is the type of talent that can still overcome that. Um, but they're going to need more from their other players. Like, when Middleton has 21 points in the first half, he can't then go and have nine points in the, or seven points in the second half, which overall looks like a good game, but it, in reality, he actually shrunk in the moment. If you have 21 points in the first half, go get 35. You're good enough to do it. You need to do it. You know yeah. who did it? Jimmy Butler. Right. Again, that's why the eye test is so important. 40 points for the Bucks in the first quarter, 18 in the fourth quarter. Shout out to Eric Spolstra, again, one of the best coaches in the league. I've said it for years. Yeah. Um, making adjustments. So switching over to the Western Conference now, uh, we have one Game 7 tonight, which is OKC versus Houston. But first, let's talk about the Game 7 that happened last night. Denver versus Utah, the end of what was an epic series, and specifically an epic duel between Jamal Murray and uh, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, like all-time great playoff duels. Actually, I have a fun stat for you, Andrew. All right, let's hear it. So Donovan Mitchell, who averaged 36.3 points per game in this series, he scored 254 total points in the series. That is the third most ever in a playoff series loss. The only other people have scored more points in a playoff series loss, Jerry West in 1969 and Bob McAdoo in 1975. Okay, so a couple of things with that stat. One, to achieve that stat and lose, the series basically has to go six or seven games. Probably seven. Probably you could, seven, You yeah. could average 40 a game, get swept, you're yeah, not getting that stat. Exactly. But even then, it makes me think of like some LeBron series losses that went deep. Yeah. Uh, some Jordan ones early against the Celtics where he was dropping like mad points per game. That's interesting. Interesting stat. I mean, surprising. We're not putting, well, we're not putting Donovan on that level of player overall, but he did literally have two 50 point games and he went off. He averaged 36.3 points per game during a series. Yeah. That's going to get you a lot of points. Four 50 point games in this series. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Two plus, Mitchell, two Murray, nuts. Yeah. Plus, a, plus an extra 40 point game by uh, Mitchell just kind of mixed in there icing on the cake they went off crazy series yeah. man crazy series it was ridiculous and now and it's kind of funny to juxtapose the first six games versus the game seven itself which was just a slug fest talk about like despite the fact that in this bubble it seems like everyone is shooting pretty well yeah it seems game seven is still going to be game seven it's going to be gritty tough guys are nervous and they're tight at the start None of them got um, the stats that like they typically got. But see, that's my everyone kind of game. Shot, everyone shot poorly. I love, I, think, those, I love those kind of games. Yeah. Final, final score in this game seven was 80-78. Yeah, and it was still really exciting. Um, and it came down to the wire. And can we talk about how Utah, I, I, not Utah, sorry, Denver, literally almost blew it with uh, where they steal it with eight seconds left. All they have to do is just hold the ball, but instead they go for a fast break layup, they miss, and then Mike Conley has like a pretty decent shot, given the circumstances, to win the series right who, there. Who and did, it rimmed out. Yeah, who did take that layup for the Jazz? Uh, I think it was, uh, you mean for the, the Denver Nuggets? Sorry, for, yeah, for the Nuggets, correct, for the Nuggets. I don't actually remember. Because like I'm just questioning whether he knew exactly what the time and score was at that point. I... <laughs> Was it Tory Craig? It might have been Tory Craig. Tory Craig pulled out a uh, J.R. Smith basketball play there. That was that could have been bad. Imagine well, you got stripped I mean, in half. Was the one that passed it? Like I mean, when you're already there, might as well go for the layup. It was an open layup. He bricked it. I mean, how did he miss that? But was it open? Open though? It was pretty open. 
I don't know. It was pretty open. You got to hold that. You got to hit some free throws. Yeah, well, exactly. It reminds me a little bit of um, when Andrea Bargnani, shout out to a former Raptor, I think he was with the Knicks at this time. They had an OT game and they get an offensive rebound. So there they basically sealed the game. They pass it out to Andrea at the top of the key. He should hold it. And instead he just right away chucks it up misses and the announcer's like what is he doing yeah oh yeah i mean it's bad enough bad enough to have to be affiliated with the Knicks organization but then you start doing stuff like that it's it's a tough pill to swallow i wish i knew what was going through andrea's head when he took that shot i get points i feel like if you looked at his mouth he was just going kobe (laughs) and bricked it off the back primo pasta and sauce primo pasta and sauce no um i mean good thing for denver's point of view that uh that Connolly shot didn't go in although that would have been epic because then you're talking about an all-time brain fart that would go down in history oh yeah like but kind of like when Danny Green almost cost us uh game six of the championship uh when he threw the ball away yeah but we don't talk about that because I talk we, about it he needs to remember that I'm sure he does the collective we don't really talk about it because we ended up winning Connolly struggled this game two of 13 he did but I mean that's game seven Utah really missed uh, Bogdanovich. They did. They really miss Bogdanovich. Yeah, I mean, he's arguably their third best player. Should we be holding somebody accountable, though, for the fact that they blew a 3-1 lead? 12th team in NBA history to do that. I think there's going to be more of that stuff in the bubble. I mean, they're not going back and forth between their home games, right? Yeah, it's just, I guess. These were two evenly matched teams, really, like, throughout. A lot of similarities between the two. Yeah, and just so happened that I don't know. I'm not going to hold too much against them. Uh, they were also the lower seed, missing their a really good player in Bogdanovich. Um, like, frankly, Denver had played poorly to get to the point where they were down 3-1. But um, good for them for winning. You like that skyhook Jokic hit on Gobert with 30 seconds left? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, a, that was a wide skyhook. Create, create separation from the big shot blocker? He knew he had to get over that big hand, man. That had a yeah. big arc. Um, My new nickname is Nikola Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> I wonder if that's going to stick. A, it's got a ring to it. Yeah. It just um, kind of flows. And now uh, Utah's out. Uh, not much they can do in the offseason. They just announced that they're going to sign Donovan Mitchell to a max extension off his rookie contract. That's kind of a no-brainer. Okay, now let's switch. Uh, let's uh, kind of switch tracks here and um, talk about the upcoming OKC and Houston game uh, really quickly. What are you looking out for Game 7? Man, if I'm Houston... I am so nervous. So nervous. If I'm OKC, I'm playing with house money. Nobody expected me to even be here at this point. So pressure's off, you know? But if I'm if I'm James Harden or Westbrook or like that organization, D'Antoni, man, I'm sweating. I think it's like this is this is the type of situation where it really comes down to like, okay, everyone like drop their drawers, just put your balls up on the table and see who's the biggest. I mean, like, this is it. You, you got to figure it out this year. Yeah. Did you see that? Did you see that uh, that picture where um, James Harden was next to uh, Chris Paul there uh, on the blocks when someone was shooting a free throw, and Chris Paul yeah. was just staring to James Harden's soul. I saw a soul. meme that said, "This is what it looks like when Chris Paul steals your soul." Yeah, he's just staring at James. He was at a ninety degree angle. Look, all the pressures on Houston, just straight up. Their two best players are guys who have clear playoff demons and playoff failures. In the past, they're still tremendous players, but James Harden, he has shot his teams out of series and big games before. Can that pull that hasn't happened yet, though. Hasn't happened yet. You're right. And he yeah. actually played a pretty good game six. But I'm saying, can he pull through or does that happen again? Russell Westbrook, 
he, I mean, if you're going to put blame, he had terrible turnovers, like egregious turnovers in game six that were just wasted possessions. And when you lose by such a small amount, those wasted possessions mattered. And especially at the end of the game where you had that air ball and then another terrible turnover, that was bad down the stretch. Russell Westbrook has had issues like that before in the past. Bricking threes, making poor decisions, poor turnovers. Is that going to rear its ugly head again? It might, but I have a weird feeling that even if Russ has a bad game seven, I don't think the critters are going to be hating on Russ. We've done that for so many years. No. I think they're going to point the finger at James Harden. Hard. The, I think it depends how the games go. I, I really do believe that it depends how the game goes. They need to win this game, though. Everything that Houston has built up towards resides on the outcome of this game and then if they make it further on the outcome of further games because they need to make it far i mean it's not even a second round exit to the lakers that would be acceptable i mean there is going to be wholesale changes uh coming to this organization and potentially regardless um daryl morey is not on solid ground with his owner especially costing him millions and millions of dollars because of his china tweet yeah Um, every owner has cost the league. But specifically Houston, because of their Yao connection, they were played a ton in China. They made bank there. And now they don't. And then you have Mike D'Antoni, who's kind of a lame duck coach. He doesn't have a contract for next year, and there's a lot of speculation that he's going to leave, maybe regardless. Um, I don't think his relationship with the uh, the ownership there is as good as, as good as it was. He's kind of run his course. But, I mean... At Even though he's done exactly what they asked him to do. He hasn't won a, chi- he hasn't won a chip. <laughs> no, but you're... Yeah, okay, so the result hasn't been I, the same. But they've asked him to execute a certain game plan, which was similar to kind of a seven-second Phoenix Sun offense, and he did that. That's what they did. The offense has been good. It just hasn't panned out. But it's like seven seconds on steroids. That's what it is. Yeah, I know. But, like, he's done what they've asked him to do. It's just the result didn't work. I don't know if yeah, that's on him. But this... It just distills all to this. This entire team the entire way that they played was set up for James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, and also Russell Westbrook has thrived in this. But, I mean, those are the main key guys. They've had this this group of players for a while, and they've had a lot of disappointments. They can't lose in the first round. They can't lose to the first round to the guy that they just jettisoned away, thinking that they would be better off, and then lose to his team. <laughs> is, is tonight the biggest game in Harden's career to this point? I mean, he's had big game seven games so maybe not i mean it's hard to say that because just generally the further you go the more important the games are but i would say it's definitely more important than random second round or even maybe third round games he's had in the past because this is elimination game this is really important for his legacy this is where uh but if if you're out in the first round this year with no real excuses this could be a big divergence for the houston as a franchise i don't know yeah or they may just run it back again because everyone's under contract and did work pretty well for the most part and maybe try to give it a full season at it. But it's not a good look if they lose in the first round. And I think if they do, everything is on the table. They may not do anything, but I think literally everything is potentially on the table. I know he's a little older, but I think people are downplaying the fact that they are going up against a top 10 point guard all time. Yeah. And he's showing us this series why he was considered the best in the league for so many years. Right. He's great. Yeah, phenomenal. He's great. Um, I'm willing to bet that if they lose, it's not going to be because Chris Paul had a bad game. Let's see how Shea does in his first Game 7 ever. Does Dennis Schroeder have a good game? Um, how does Lukens Dort do? He Shout did poor last game. He hit some big threes. Yeah. 
but they're going to leave him open as um chris weber says you're open for a reason yeah um but you got to make it we'll see big game tonight i'm excited we'll see what happens yeah, we'll talk about an game exciting seven next. game uh real quick on it do you expect shootout or another grind it low scoring game i'm gonna go low scoring game me too expect a very brickish first quarter i think so i think honestly now that i think about it like because it's game seven defense turns up you could see some historically also, bad shooting performances tonight defense turns up and also one thing to look out for is we all know that um james likes to get to the line that's one of his main things yeah whistles in the pockets tonight you think so more so they okay. always play the, they they're not you're not getting the same calls in a game seven you are in a game one yeah just straight up like james don't expect uh bailout calls yeah don't expect when you do a step back and fall down like you always do that you're going to get that call for example don't expect that when you drive and maybe get tapped on the arm yeah that you're going to get that don't call. just flail and throw the ball up yeah. like you better try and make that basket because you may not get bailed out with that free throw call uh you wanted to finish uh quickly on uh a bookend on the Lakers Portland. Series. Yeah, man, you can't talk basketball without talking LeBron and the Lakers. Um, Portland, man, I I was just so wrong about the series in every way. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I feel like I should never make a prediction again. They were playing so great going into the playoffs. Damian was on fire. Obviously, Lillard left before Game Five. Uh, it didn't really matter at that point. He was injured. Um, I, I'm looking at the injury report here. Uh, Damian Lillard knee issues from carrying the Blazers for the last five years. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's starting to wear on him. If you had parlayed all my predictions about this series in some sort of an anti-Andrew bet, you'd be loaded. Well, yeah, but I also, like, went against you on our predictions. I told you you were wrong, and I've been proven right. Oh, so disappointing. I don't know. I was wrong. I drank the the Kool-Aid, man. It happens. Yeah, like, look, it's a good series. Um, Once Dane went down, you knew it was over, but um, they still had no one to guard lebron and they still have no one next year they're gonna have to try to figure this out find someone who can guard an elite wing they still don't have that they have the guards and they have good scoring center they're gonna lose hassan Whiteside, but uh going forward who are their who's their three who's their three four guys like a big forward who can kind of guard some of these elite uh scoring wings because there's a lot of them in their conference just like literally paul george Kawhi, lebron anthony davis luka Doncic, like just right off the top of my head um remember when i said lebron was looking bad going into the playoffs and i had my worries yeah this is now a public service announcement to never doubt the king 29 <laughs> point triple double on 60 percent shooting that's what he averaged for the series they had no one to guard him anthony davis 30 and 9 on 57 percent shooting it's a good thing they were good because the rest of the lakers are completely useless well that's how their team is set up do you want to talk about uh clips Mouse real quick are you Real quick, man, I don't know what more Luka could have done. For his age, he set every playoff record you could have as a 20-year-old. Yeah, um, not much to be said. The better team won. Um, once Porzingis went down, it's kind of funny, actually, how like Luka gets the hurt ankle, keeps playing, and then Porzingis is the one that has <laughs> an actual bad injury with the torn meniscus. Uh, they're going to have to watch out for him. Hopefully he stays healthy going forward. He might have to change the way he plays a little bit, maybe stop doing all those crazy rim runs that he likes to do. Um they're in good hands. Luca is um when this current generation of star players retires, like you have LeBron's vintage, which is pretty much all moved out except for LeBron, and then there's Mello and Paul still sticking around. Um Paul's a little younger, obviously, but eh, same group. Then you have your uh Kevin Durant vintage. But the next group in, like Luca, Giannis, those guys, like they got next. Yeah. And Luca's sure. part of that. 
Um, NBA future is bright. Yeah. In the meantime, um, hopefully the Raps can uh, pull out some wins. Oh my god, please, you gotta turn it around. I can't watch another game like that. <laughs> Even if you lose, just lose prettier. I don't think you can lose pretty. I mean, it's just been so ugly. Yeah, well, we'll see. Anyway, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, man.